You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. open up your Bibles to Genesis uh, chapter 12. We're in a series called uh, Trusting God uh, for More. If you don't have a Bible, the ushers are coming up and down the aisle right now. We're a portable church for now, and uh, we don't have few Bibles. We just have amazing ushers, and so if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand, and we'd love to put a Bible into your hands. If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. If you just left yours at home, then you can just leave this one uh, at your chair as you uh, leave uh, today. The series is called Trusting God for More. We were not expecting to have this series. We were not expecting, and as I planned out the ministry year uh, last summer, we were not expecting to be doing this series. We were not expecting to be sort of three months away from moving into a, a, a new facility and beginning this new chapter in the life of our church. But here we are. God has orchestrated things. God has moved in a way that has been surprising, that has been amazing. And so here we are sort of at the threshold. Here we are on the verge, on the cusp of God doing something new. And so we're we're going to be studying in God's word some key moments in the Bible where God was calling his people to something new. Where his people needed to trust him for more. To, to, to trust him to do something more as they await on him. They did not necessarily understand everything that was in front of them, but they understood the goodness and the power of the God who was calling them. And so as we, as we begin this sort of history, this study of God's uh, people, we're going to go where it all began, with Abraham, who is the father of Israel, who is, who is the one that, that, that got this nation started, the, the people of God, the people of Israel. And from Genesis chapter 12 today, we're going to see that God is a God, the kind, the kind of God we're trusting is, the, is a God who blesses. God is a God who wants to bless. To bless simply means to wish favor and goodness on another person. And God is a God who blesses. In fact, this has been on God's heart from the beginning of time. After God created the first human beings, Adam and Eve, after he breathed life into them, the first thing he did was bless them. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. That was the first thing he did, was to shower his favor, to shower his goodness, to shower his love. This has always been God's design, to bless humankind. That's always been God's plan, but unfortunately, we as humans sometimes have other plans. Adam and Eve had another plan, didn't they? God was so generous to them. He blessed them. He said, you can eat from any tree in the garden that you want. And yet Adam and Eve zeroed in on that forbidden fruit. And they they chose to disobey God's word. And then what happened as a result? Rather than blessing, a curse came. The curse started in Genesis chapter 3 verse 14 on the serpent who slithered into the garden in the first place. And And then Genesis 17, God told Adam that the whole land, all of the earth was now under a curse because of sin. And then sin just continued to multiply and to mutate. Adam and Eve have children. They have a son named Cain, a son named Abel. And Cain kills Abel out of in a jealous rage. And then a curse is put on Cain in chapter 4 verse 11. 
And then the whole planet ends up being under, under a curse with the worldwide flood in the days of Noah. And it seems like there's a, a, a restart and maybe this will be a season of, of blessing. But with the way that Noah's sons behaved in relation, and dishonoring him, there ended up being a curse on one of Noah's descendants, on Canaan. And so God created the world to bring blessing. But as the Genesis story unfolds, it's not blessing. It's curse, 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 curse. Destruction and dysfunction and hurt and pain and sorrow. But God shows up in Genesis chapter 12. This is a turning point in the unfolding story in the book of Genesis. This is a turning point really in, in, in the whole Bible, in, in the trajectory of the entire universe. Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to look at God and how he chooses to bless. And what does it mean for us to live in response, to live a life trusting God that he blesses? We're going to see three things from this passage today. Let me read the passage to you, and then we'll dive into them one by one. Genesis 12 verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, in him, who dis- and, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That word blessing occurs five times in these three Verses. God is intent upon blessing Abram and then as a result blessing all of mankind. How do we respond to this God? How do we trust the kind of God that blesses? Here's the first thing. We trust the God that blesses by obeying his voice. By obeying his voice. If you want to receive blessing from God, you need to understand that obedience is very, very important. Abram here obeyed the voice of God. The voice of God is powerful. The voice of God is what started creation. He said, let there be light. And then the creation fell apart and fell under a curse. And then now it's the voice of God that's going to start redemption, which is rescuing humankind from being enslaved to sin. God spoke to start creation. God is speaking to start redemption as well. So verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, If you want to experience the blessing of God, you need to be prepared to obey his voice. I mean, that's what went wrong with Adam and Eve, right? Well, how did the curse come? The curse came because they disobeyed God's voice. And so God told Abram, Go. He told him to go. The NIV translates it leave because the emphasis here is on what Abram was supposed to leave behind. You see what it says here? Leave your country and your kindred and your father's house. God's starting with the general and then narrowing to very, very specific. He begins by saying, leave your country. Just leave the surrounding area where you're living. Also leave your kindred. Leave leave your clan, your aunts and uncles, your nieces and nephews, your cousins. Leave your clan. But then he says, leave your father's house. This is getting close to home now. Leave your most intimate relationships. What is God calling Abram to do right now in this moment? He's essentially asking him to leave behind everything that makes you feel secure and comfortable. He's saying, Abram, I want you to get out of your comfort zone. You see, we serve a kind of God who wants to meet us at the farthest border of our comfort zone. And he meets us there and he blesses us there. 
You may never have God speak audibly to you to tell you to change your geographical location. But God is continually speaking, isn't he? I mean, when Abram heard this voice from God, it says in, Genesis, in Joshua 24 too, can we get that verse on the screen? It says, long ago our fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, that's Abraham's brother, and they served other gods. Abraham didn't grow up in a Christian home. He didn't have parents who believed in the true God. He served other gods. And God was calling him out of, of his country, out of his kindred, out of his father's house, out of his former religion. Now for some of you, that's what becoming a Christian meant for you. Becoming a Christian meant counting the cost, saying that if I decide to follow Jesus, that might mean that my family turns against me. That You may be living that right now. That's what it was like for Abraham. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. And so Abraham had to make this decision to obey God's voice. And it was quite difficult to obey. It was difficult to obey because something that he did know and something that he didn't know. He did know everything he was leaving behind. But he didn't know where he was going. Read the, read the second half of verse 1. It says, to the land that I will show you. God has Abraham on a need-to-know basis. I mean, so often we think, God, I would love to obey you. I would love to trust you, but I just need to make sure that I'm going to be okay in the end. And Pastor Ray Kaprowski at Harvest Ottawa, this is, I, lo I, lo I, lo I love Pastor Ray, but one of his most memorable statements ever to me was, God's word is a lamp to our feet. It's not a spotlight to our future. And we are trusting the God who wants to show us what our next step is. And so often we want to, to see the whole thing and how it's going to play out and make sure there's no risk. And God, I hope you're going to keep us safe. But that's not the way God works. That's not what it means to trust him. To trust him is to say, I need to take this step and I'm going to trust that even though I can't see any further than that, I'm going to trust that when I take that step, I'm going to be able to see a little bit further. That's what it was like for Abram. That's what it was like for us. And so we don't have God speaking to us audibly, necessarily telling us to move from one location to the other. But God has spoken. He's given us about 1,200 pages worth in his word. He's told us to do a lot of things. And if we're going to do the things that we're commanded to do in this book, it has to happen outside of our comfort zone. Loving your neighbor doesn't, doesn't exist when you play it safe. Living a life of service doesn't exist when you remain with what's comfortable. Giving with generosity and sacrificially does not happen when your intent is to re remain secure. God calls us to the furthest border of our comfort zone, and it's there where he chooses to bless us. Will you obey his voice? Then secondly, we must believe his promises. We must believe his promises. Now what happens in verse 2 is it's just incredible. Because God has commanded Abram to do one thing. One thing. Go. But then God is going to say, Abram, I want you to do this one thing. And then in this next verse, he's going to say, here are seven things that I'm going to do for you. Now, does that seem fair? Does that really seem like an equal distribution of labor to you? That God tells Abram to do one thing and God says, I'm going to do God doesn't say, hey, you take three and I'll do three and maybe we'll, divide, we'll work together to, so it's not three and a half each. No, God says, you do this one thing and I will do these seven things. God makes these promises. 
So even when we're taking that step of faith, even if we can't see what's in the future, we can hear the promises of God and we can say them to ourselves and remind ourselves of who God is and what he has promised. This is how we walk by faith. So he says in verse two, I will make you a great nation. That's the first of seven promises. I will make you a great nation. Now this first promise would have been painful for Abram to hear. Abram at this point, he's a senior citizen. He's old enough to be a grandfather at at this point. And God comes to him and he says, from your family, I'm going to create a great nation. Now this has been something that would have been really painful, really difficult for Abram and his wife Sarai for, for their entire marriage. Abram's name means exalted father. So every time that he was, you know, traveling on business or meeting someone new, someone would say, Abram, Abram, exalted father, yeah, you must, be, you must be a great dad. And then Abram would have to explain, yeah, you know what, we kind of had hopes and dreams about that when, when, when we first got married, and, and I, I don't really know what to say. And then earlier in chapter 11, verse 30, it says, It says, now Sarai was barren, she had no child. That end of chapter 11 is this genealogy, a whole list of names. There's no personal information given about anyone. There's a whole whole ton of people that are listed. No personal details given about anyone except Sarai. And it's repeated with a painfully pulsating redundancy. She was barren, yeah, I got it. And she had no child, yeah, I understand. But, but the author re- repeats it almost, almost just to, to reemphasize the, the hurt, the pain, the, the, the thinking that, that that hope for them was long gone in the season of life that they found themselves in. Abram, this would have been something that Abram and Sarah would have dealt with on a, on a regular basis. It's something that people in our church are, are struggling with, this idea of trusting God in the midst of uh, infertility. And if you know the story of Abram and Sarah, it turns out to be a happy uh, ending at the, midst of a very, at the end of a very painful process. We don't know if it will be that kind of ending for every single family in this church, but Abram and Sarah would have known what it was like to have people who are you know, well-meaning, trying to sort of Look on the bright side, sort of a comment, trying to help but actually ending up hurting. Abram and Sarah would have known what it was like when someone shares their happy news and someone else's happy news hurts your heart and you're fighting this this, this selfishness and and, and this, 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 this anger and this frustration of trying to trust God and why can't I just be happy for that person when I find myself in this? It's a, it's a very, very difficult place to be in. And Abram and Sarai, they had given up on that whole idea a long time ago, but then God shows up and says, I will make you a great nation. And then he says, I will bless you. That's the second, the second promise. He says, I will bless you. I will shower my favor and my goodness, my love, my presence will be on you. And he says, I will make your name great. In, in Genesis 11, we have the story of the Tower of Babel. This happens right before, uh, right before Genesis chapter 12. And this is what they were thinking when they built the tower. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. 
If there's a mantra running in the, uh, in the back of every human being's mind, it's let us make a name for ourselves. Whether it's trying to uh, find that special someone, whether it's trying to achieve academic success, whether it's trying to earn a little bit more uh, money, no matter what it is, the, the mantra, the thing we're ultimately trying to do, the underlying, the underlying goal is I want to make a name for myself. I want to do something that's significant. I want to do something with meaning. We're all trying to build our own towers. But God says to Abram, and this is so freeing. God says, I will make your name great. I will give you that significance, that meaning, that purpose. Relating to me in a relationship with me, that is what you're looking for. It's only found in me. I will make your name great. God says, I'll manage your reputation, Abram. I'll give you meaning and significance. He says, I'll make your name great, and then here comes the next promise, so that you will be a blessing. So that you will be a blessing. I know I said that God gave one command, and then he promised seven things, but if you really actually get into the grammar of, of how it's phrased in the Hebrew language, there's, there's actually two commands. There's the command to go, and then this promise to be a blessing is also a command. He's commanding Abram, to be a blessing. He's saying, Abram, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. But as I bless you, I'm giving you a responsibility. Another command that you would be a blessing. God blesses his people so that they would bless others. So my challenge to you today, if you, have been, if you have a relationship with God, if you are found in Jesus Christ, before the day is done, how can you be a blessing to another person on planet earth today? Stop thinking about what you want to do after lunch or what you're hoping to get accomplished or what you want other people to do for you and turn the tables and, and live out what God is saying here, what God is commanding and promising here that you are to be a blessing. To think about the neighborhood where you, are, where you live. To think about the family or the housemates that you live with. To think about the strangers that you might bump into. To think about the, the co-workers that you're going to go and work with. How can you walk into that situation and say, I want to be a blessing. I want to spread favor and goodness and love in this situation. Now some of you are probably thinking, well, I, I really hope my parents choose to bless me like this. Or I was really hoping my husband would, would you, you got it all wrong. Don't think about how other people can bless you. Think about how God has blessed you and then pay it forward and bless others. Use your gifts, your time, your influence, your resources, your actions, your words to bless other people. That's God's intention. You will be a blessing. Then in verse 3 he says, I will bless those who bless you. And he says, I will, and him who dishonors you I will curse. There's a group of people that are going to be blessed. There's a, a person that's going to be cursed. Notice, notice how when it's talking about those who bless you, it's in the plural. Those who bless you. But when it's talking about those who dishonor you, it's in the singular. Him. 
God is anticipating, expecting that as God blesses Abram, as God blesses the people of God, he's anticipating that there will be more people on the side of blessing. God's always aiming at more. He's aiming at the whole world here, as we're going to see in a moment. He's aiming at more who will bless Abram and less at who will dishonor. Also notice that the reward for blessing is equal to, to, to what is done. If you bless, then you receive the reward of blessing. But notice how the punishment for dishonor isn't the same. Dishonoring someone and cursing someone is something totally different. To dishonor is just to speak sort of flippantly or casually about someone. God says, those who bless, I'll bless. But even if someone were to so much as dishonor you, Abram, I will curse. You see, when God says, I will make your name great, what he's saying is, I will intervene in your interpersonal conflicts. You don't have to try to make your name great. You don't have to prove everyone wrong who's against you. God says, just let me handle it. This is why it's a bummer to be a Philistine or an Amalekite. Like, get with the program. If you so much as dishonor, you will find yourself under a curse. That's so important in trusting God. Trusting that even if people try to attack us, whether they're from our family or, or, or from work or from school, that, that we would be trusting God in those situations. And then the last promise that he gives at the end of verse 3, it says, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now this promise is so massive. It's so big that I want to devote an entire point. We're going to spend most of, our, most of the message today just on this last statement. Because this idea of in you all the families of the earth will be blessed, it, has, it reverberates through the book of Genesis. It actually continues all the way through the rest of the biblical story. I mean, this is God returning to his original intention. So here's the third point. That in trusting God, we, we obey his voice, we believe his promises, and then thirdly, we share his blessings. We share his blessing that as his people who have received his promises and are following his commands, we are supposed to be used to bless all the nations, all the families of this earth. And so this is going back to God's original intention. Remember Genesis 1, 27 and 28. God created man and woman in his own image and then God blessed them. And so Abram is being called. God is choosing to specifically bless one person so that through that blessing, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And God has chosen to bless you in Christ, if you are his follower today, so that your blessing would be shared to the ends of the earth. We all have a role to play in this. We're called to share his blessing. So how does Abraham do in sharing this blessing? Blessing. Uh, Abram's name later gets changed to Abraham, and Sarai's uh, name later gets changed to Sarah, and so I'm having a hard time keeping that straight in my head, so I'm just going to keep calling them Abraham and Sarah from now on. Is that okay? And so let's find out how Abraham does in fulfilling this mission. He's receiving this blessing from God. He's supposed to go, and he's supposed to be a blessing, and that blessing is supposed to overflow in all of the nations. So just turn in your Bibles to... to, to, to the end of Genesis 12. Look at Genesis 12, verse 10. It says, now there was a famine in the land. That is the land that God had showed him. There was a famine in the promised land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. So now, God didn't tell him to go to Egypt, but he ends up there. 
Now Egypt is going to be blessed through Abram. So, so he went to sojourn there. Now the famine was severe in the land. Verse 11. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Who's, who's Abraham looking out for right now? Who's he being a blessing to? Himself, not to his wife. Not to the people that he's going to lie to. And Abram has this little plan. You know, we're going to pretend like we're brother and sister while we're staying here. And if someone, you know, wants to marry you or something like that, I'll be like, well, I'm the, I'm the next of kin. And we need to talk about dowry. And I need to go talk to the rest of the family. And so let's just hold off. So Abram sort of had this plan that he would just sort of stall. And that that would preserve his life. He's, only, he's not thinking about being a blessing to his wife or to the people of Egypt. Verse 14, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw the, women, the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. You can't exactly negotiate with Pharaoh. And so he just took her. Abram didn't anticipate that. And, and, so, and, and then look, look what happens. Look at verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. Did Abram bring a blessing? No, he brought really a curse. He brought plagues on these people because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So you can imagine the car ride home. And God rescued them out of uh, that uh, situation. Then uh, Abram's nephew um, gets, gets captured in, in, in chapter 13 and 14 and uh, Abram shows great courage but then you get to, to chapter 15 and God appears to Abram again in chapter 15 verse 3 it says Abram said behold you have given me no offspring. What about the promise God? And a member of my household will be my heir. He's like, one of my servants is going to inherit. He's thinking, I'm going to die soon. Verse 14, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. He says, your very own son will be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So God reaffirms the promise. No, one of your own sons is going to be born and going to inherit all that you have. Then look at chapter 16, verse 1. This is now 10 years have gone by. 10 years of still struggling with infertility. And I mean, they're senior citizens. They're not expecting anything to happen. But God had promised 10 years go by. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So in chapter 12, you have Abram taking his wife and putting her in the arms of an Egyptian. Now you have Abram's wife putting an Egyptian into the arms of Abraham. And so not only has Abram failed in terms of faith, now Sarah is failing as well. And then Hagar conceives and they have a son named Ishmael and all kinds of drama and dysfunction and pain and misunderstanding and hurt results because of this bad decision that they make. Then Genesis chapter 17, God, God appears to Abraham again and he's talking to Abraham about his wife. He says, I will bless her and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed. 
and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Now, now he's a hundred years old. They think, God, I mean, it seemed crazy when you told me way back then, but now I'm a hundred. And he says, shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Later, when Sarah finds out in Genesis chapter 18, verse 12, it says, Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? So they both laughed at the idea. Verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? He can do far more abundantly, can't he? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you, this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. You see, Sarah and Abraham, they had kind of compromised. They thought, well, I guess, you know, Ishmael technically is Abraham's son. And so maybe he's going to be the one who's going to carry on the great name and become the great nation. And God says, no. When, when I gave you that promise, I wasn't, I wasn't, I'm not going to bless your sinful compromise. Your son is going to come from your wife. And God now puts a time stamp on. He says, this time next year I'm coming back and you're going to have a baby. So in that year, look at chapter 20. Chapter 20, verse 2. This is that year. They know that they're going to have a child. And look what, look what Abram does. So they're... they're traveling again they're in this area called Gerar verse verse 2 Abram said of Sarah his wife she's my sister he goes back and does the same thing he did in Egypt and Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah is Abraham being a blessing no he's not he's in another nation he's not bringing a blessing the same thing happens the same awkward car ride home looking out for himself not being a blessing to his wife not being a blessing to the nations but God proves to be so faithful. Abraham and Sarah, they're a failure, but God is faithful. This is the God that we're trusting, believing his promises. Chapter 21 and verse 2, it says, And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him from Sarah, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Isaac means laughter. Abraham and Sarah both laughed at the idea. This can't happen. But God is faithful in fulfilling his promises. It took longer. It was more painful than they ever expected. But God came through and Isaac is born. Then in Genesis chapter 22, God is called to, to, to make a sacrifice, to sacrifice his son uh, Isaac, but then Isaac ends up ultimately being, uh, being spared. And this is what God says. He promises this to uh, Abraham. He says, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And he restates this promise, that last promise. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now, in chapter uh, in, in, in chapter 22, God makes this promise to uh, Abraham, and then uh, Isaac is his son, and by the time you get to chapter 23, Sarah is now dead, and in chapter 24, uh, Isaac marries uh, Rebekah, and then in, in chapter 4, in that, in that, sorry, moving then to, yeah, sorry, in, in chapter uh, 24, uh, Abraham, or Isaac then does the same thing with Rebekah, he, he does the same thing lying about his wife being his sister. So 
Abraham was supposed to be a blessing to other nations and failed. Isaac turns out to be the same way. And then Isaac and Rebekah both uh, struggle with infertility. In Genesis 25, verse 21, it says, Isaac prayed to the Lord his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, uh, conceived. And so they struggle with infertility, and God answered their prayer as well. She has, two, she has twins, Esau and Jacob. And then God makes this amazing a promise to, to Isaac in Genesis chapter 26, verse 4. He says, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And then he repeats that last promise. In your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now, I said it happened in 24. I was kind of confused. It actually happens in, in, in 26. If you read what happens next, beginning at chapter 26, verse 9, Isaac and Abimelech, that's the story when Isaac, after this great promise, puts Rebekah into the arms of another uh, man. Then you get to chapter 27 and we start to learn about Isaac and Rebekah's children. Are, the, are they going to be the ones who are going to be the blessing to the nations? Abraham failed. Isaac failed. Well, Jacob turns out to be more selfish and self-serving than, than his father or his grandfather. He actually tricks his old blind father. He swindles him in order to steal the blessing away from his a brother Esau. He's a liar. He's a cheater. And so, in, and so Esau is, is responding to what Jacob did in chapter 27 verse 36. It says, Esau said, is he not rightly called Jacob? Jacob means heel grabber. Why would you grab someone's heel? Because you intended on tripping them. You, you, you don't want to play within the rules. You don't want to be obedient. You don't want to be trustworthy. He's a heel grabber. He says, truly he's called Jacob. For he cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Look down at verse 41 of Genesis 27. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. He, he understands that his dad is going to die. And he says, as soon as my dad dies, then I will kill my brother Jacob. And so Jacob, who has received the blessing, is, is now, now he has a death threat on his life from his own brother. So Jacob then runs away. He runs away from the promised land. And he's no longer in the land that God had promised. And he's, and he's been a liar and a cheater and a thief his entire life. But God is a God of grace. And God shows up in, I, in Jacob's life. And this is what he says to him in Genesis 28. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. You're going to go beyond the borders of that promised land. And he says, and in you... And your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That promise, that last promise gets repeated yet again. So Jacob goes away. Does Jacob, in light of this promise, does Jacob go off and live a great upstanding life? No, he doesn't. He marries four different women. He has a massively dysfunctional uh, family. And then when Jacob comes back to the promised land, look at chapter 32, verse 26. Jacob ends up wrestling with God. But in chapter 32, verse 26, God says, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let go until you bless me. I will not let go until I receive your blessing. Jacob 
He, he had heard that Esau was coming. He was afraid that Esau was going to come and kill him. That's not how it turned out, but that's what Jacob was expecting. And he's wrestling with God saying, I need you to bless me, God. I, I'm not ready to be a blessing to other nations, but I need you to bless me. And so God does bless him. But that dysfunctional family, those 12 sons from the four wives, Ten of them turn on one of the younger ones and sell him into slavery. He ends up going into Egypt. And then the prisoner becomes prime minister and he's ruling over the whole nation. And then Jacob and all of his sons end up joining a Joseph who was brought there. And then just turn one last place I want you to turn. Genesis 47.10. Genesis 47.10. As we've been studying, we saw that Abraham failed in being a blessing to the nations. And that Isaac, his son, also failed in doing that. And Jacob was just so selfish and so self-serving, failed multiple times in being a blessing to anyone. He couldn't even be a blessing to his own family, lying and cheating and stealing. But when Jacob finally appears in Egypt, Genesis chapter 47, 10, look at what it says. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Finally, we see a descendant of Abraham, an offspring of Abraham, actually taking the initiative and bringing a blessing to another nation. And then Jacob, rather than just only ever thinking about himself, starts to think about his sons. And in chapter 49, he speaks a blessing to all of his children. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them. That's Genesis 49, 28. And to one of his sons, Judah, he says this, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He makes all of these promises to all of his kids. He, 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 sorry, they're, they're more like prophecies, like blessings to all of his kids. But to Judah, in his blessing to Judah, he mentions the nations. That from Judah, someone is going to come who will be a blessing to the nations. You see... Abraham failed, Isaac failed, Jacob failed, all of the kings of Judah in the line of David failed until you come to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is that ultimate miracle baby. I know Sarah's birth was absolutely incredible because it was post-menopausal, but Mary's, Mary's conception was pre-intercourse. It, it, it took a miraculous birth on a whole new level. Jesus is that ultimate example of Abraham. Abraham left his father's house. Jesus left his father's house. Abraham was called to be a blessing to the nations. Jesus was that ultimate blessing to the nations. One of Jesus' first sermons in Matthew 5, 2 to 3, it says he opened his mouth. This is the Sermon on the Mount. The first words of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are people like Jacob who have come to the end of their rope and say, God, I won't let go of you until you bless me. I'm so poor in spirit. I'm so messed up because of my sin. But I need you to rescue me. I need you to bless me. That's what Jesus came to spread and to bring. Jesus said in John 8, 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham knew that it couldn't be him. It couldn't be one of his sons. He knew enough about human nature. He knew enough about his own family that this whole blessing of the nations thing wasn't, wasn't found in him or in Isaac or in Jacob. He knew there must be someone coming. He rejoiced in the day that Christ would come. 
Galatians chapter 3, verse 8 says that the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that means nations, that's us, by faith. Notice this, preach the gospel beforehand. What's the gospel? The gospel is the good news that God loves us and sent his son to suffer and die on the cross so that we could be forgiven and receive the gift of eternal life if we believe and repent. That's the gospel. But it says the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. It was preached in Genesis chapter 12, the the passage that we've been studying. Well, how did Jesus bring the blessing? Does he bring the blessing through the Sermon on the Mount, saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and turn the other cheek, and if you do all these things and follow this sermon, then you'll have a blessed life and you'll get into heaven? No, that's not how Jesus came to be a blessing. Jesus came to be a blessing by becoming a curse. You see, sin brought a curse into this world, and the curse needed to be dealt with. And no matter how hard we try to be a blessing or to live a blessed life or to follow the Sermon on the Mount, just like Abraham failed and Isaac failed and Jacob failed, we all fail. But Christ came to be a curse in order to bring a blessing. In Galatians 3, verse 13 and 14, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, from disobeying God's voice. By becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Again, that's the nations. And so after Christ went to the cross and hung and bled to bear the curse, to bear the punishment, the penalty for all of our sin, he was buried and he rose again. And this is what he told his disciples to do. Matthew 28, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go! He told Abraham in Genesis 12, go. And Jesus told his disciples, go. And he's telling us to go. To go and make disciples of all nations. Loved ones, this is what we are called to. We are called to share the blessing. We have been blessed. God has been doing absolutely amazing things in our church since it started nine years ago and then more recently with all that's been happening with the facility but we need to have this in mind why is God doing this is he doing this so that we can just go and enjoy being in this nice big spacious place no we are going there so that we can go to the nations We are going there so that we can go out of our comfort zone and love and serve and give and sacrifice. Loved ones, forgive me if I ever gave you the impression in the last couple of weeks that getting into this facility is the finish line. It's not the finish line. It's the starting line. It's not so that we can go there and rest. It's so that we can go there and work. So that we can go there and be used for God's glory to spread the blessing that we have in Christ. So what is God calling you to do right now? When you think about service, when you think about generosity, when you think about loving your neighbor, when you think about what it means to be a member of this church, what is God calling you to do? All of us need to be thinking in terms of what is the furthest border of my comfort zone? What is God calling me to trust him with? And how has he promised to bless me as I choose to receive his blessing and then share that blessing to the ends of the earth? Let's bow our heads and pray together. Our Heavenly Father, you know every heart in this room. And Lord, I believe in the power of your Holy Spirit, so I believe that you are working in ways that are far greater than I could ever anticipate or imagine. 
And so, Lord, I know that for each person in this room, you are calling each of us to, to step out in faith, to do something that, that, that would mean leaving our comfort zone or, or what we find security or stability in. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us as we, as we follow you into this very important season as a church, Lord. As we think about how you have blessed us in Christ and, and then how you've blessed us with this, with this stewardship of this facility, Lord. God, I pray that we would be all in, that we would say yes to your call, Lord God. That we would respond to you with faith, obeying your voice and believing your promises so that we can share the gospel and share the blessing to the ends of the earth. Lord, we love you and thank you. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.